My religion is near Atlanta Darcy breaking into gay people's houses and drinking tea. Welcome to The Story Thinker, a Webtoons and Witcher podcast for superfans with scene-by-scene analysis. Featuring sharp co-hosts for a fuller picture, we dive deep into character psychology, relationships, and theories. We'd love it if you could like, subscribe, comment, and rate us on all podcast platforms and social media. For bonus content, you can support The Story Thinker on Patreon. Let's begin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 8. I was going to say 18, but it's 118 of Purple Hyacinth, Valuable Visitor. And today we are here with Fu and Joy. Hello. Hello. All right. So this is the episode for the Kiwi Shippers. And obviously the Neira steps. (laughs) Yeah, she comes in at the end. Like she always does and steals the entire show. And it's, <laughs> it has to be like the fourth time she's done it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, you know, so fun. I probably like giving her that role and making her Miss Drama, dramatic entrance. Yeah. And she is so good at it too. <laughs> well, we will, we will do our something in the appropriate time. Meanwhile, we open up with the APD, and it is, you already see right away that it's dark outside. The windows are dark. There's a, a yellow lamp casting a nice glow on Will's desk. He's on the phone. He's writing notes. And there's this massive stack of papers, which is unsurprising. He has his suit jacket in the back, because you can tell, like, it's been a long day. And he says, um, yes, thank you, sir. Shuts the phone, scribbles, closes the file. He looks up at the clock. It is 9 p.m which is very, very late. <laughs> it is currently 9.36 p.m. where we are. And I would be pissed if I was still in the office. <laughs> and he says, it's already nine. It's been a long day. <clears throat> and we see him walking through the hallway. And I was like, okay, there's going to be like just Will. He's pulling the late shift. But no, there's tons of people in the office. And then I remembered, oh, this is due to like the overtime that they all have to work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, ton of people in the office, and then there's this gentleman. Um, <laughs> he's seems ordinary looking, but I was like, is he drawn with enough detail to like warrant? You know, is he a character? Is he just a side piece? He's like evening lieutenant Hawks, working late, but he has a name. His name is Officer Jefferson. He says, Officer Jefferson, I was just finishing some stuff, heading off now. Keep up the good work. Bye. Try. Everything's been so hectic. Do you guys think this Officer Jefferson is important, or just a little, or just a side character? <laughs> Um, I think side character, but also like, because I think Pearl Hyacinth is having like introducing a lot of new characters. So I don't think a lot of them are going to be super important. So I think this Jefferson is just like, you know, some like office uh, banter, like office interaction, you know, just to make it feel a bit more like homely. Mm. Yep. And he looks friendly. <laughs> Which looks sweet. He reminds me of Harvey. <laughs> I know, right? It's for all. I mean, Harvey turned out probably still to be okay, but I'm like, you look too nice. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and um, he keeps walking and he peers into the office and this is, looks like the regular office and everyone is there. There's like more people than usual there. We see Lila and we see Kim and then we see three unknown figures who we don't really know and they're all busy. They're all like really working. And Kim looks over, looks at, I'm sorry, Will looks at Kim and walks to her desk and notice he doesn't walk to anyone else's desk presumably he has like the same relationship with the other people in terms of like chain of command 
So like presumably they're all his subordinates, but who does he go to? His love. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, it's almost um, the curfew time, Liddell. You've been staying late a lot lately. And she says, good things for cops and we don't actually have a curfew. Bad thing for cops and the paperwork just won't stop. Spur <laughs> oh, girl. Like, oh, I can't imagine the amount of paperwork I have to do from the factory. Kim's like, and Will's like, don't worry, I can imagine very well. I've got just as much as you. <laughs> uh, do you feel for them? Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. I, I like the mention of the curfew. Kind of like really brings in um, like those new policies and you kind of see how like the characters like just like interact with them. Like, you know, you bring in these new ideas and you see how like the characters kind of react to it. Which I like. It's a small detail, but I like how they mention it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was thinking it's Kim's a little out of character in this regard because, like, in the past we've seen her, she, like, puts off the paperwork till <laughs> the very last minute, till it's past due, and Will has to literally kick her in the backside to get her to do anything we're going to paperwork but now she's like voluntarily staying late to work on paperwork and I think she's basically to me that's kind of signaling that she's trying to ward off a lot of the trauma and the nightmares that she's going through probably the idea of if I stay up and keep busy I won't have to think about about the things that happened with the factory org and finding out my best friend is Loon yeah I really wonder if like it's going to be if you know we do see a therapy session with Kim and if it will be brought up um how like Kim is taking a more avoidant style of coping with it sort of like you know she's just as Joyce said like she's just pushing herself into her work um and we kind of like we see it like with Lauren too you know she just went back to work and it was kind of active as everything was normal but definitely like avoiding some stuff Mm -hmm. yeah I like that interpretation I just saw it as um her trying to be better which if you remember the last time she was in the office it was like sometime uh, season two she was doing paperwork and you know Will was like oh my gosh what are you doing and he he was surprised so I just saw it as like a sign of her Mm -hmm. changing that she's trying to impress him or whatever but yeah, that's a that's a good interpretation. But they're staying like crazy late because she says, so I'm staying late to finish them as quickly as I can so I can be uh, free tomorrow. Oh, never mind. Okay, um, I thought she was talking about something else. But in any case, and she says, there's a newly opened restaurant, restaurant down our street and my parents want to try it out, which is nice that she, you know, has a good relationship with her parents, clearly, that she's, you know, going to restaurants with them. She's excited about it. As, you know, I can't see Will and Stefan going out and they get yeah. out of the restaurant. I love Kim's relationship with her parents. We have like two panels of them from like episode 87, but it's like so sweet and it's like genuinely healthy. And I'm waiting for the Liddells to take William in so he can also know what it's like to have a healthy family dynamic. I know. He needs a poor fellow. 
And she goes, there is freshly pressed watermelon juice on the menu, Willie. Freshly pressed watermelon juice. Of course. Yeah. Okay, so who would have thought there was a market for watermelon juice? I would love to know that. <laughs> I'm wondering where they're getting like all this watermelon in like February. February. <laughs> It's more of a summer uh, fruit, but you know, I call it very good point. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, My butt cheeks are not getting up from this chair until this file is done. And Will, I did not think he would respond like this, but he says, I'm afraid your butt cheeks will disintegrate before that. I'm shocked that he said butt cheeks. He's like so dignified. You're probably like, Yeah, I thought Will would be the one to like self censor himself and. <laughs> I, he, it, it, I mean but like also he's the one he's like that for a while I don't know if he still is but for a while he was the character with the most like oh, f-bombs f- you know so I don't know Will like he acts he acts proper but his mouth says otherwise <laughs> this also could, shows sorry go ahead I'm sorry. he could be, be like you know how some people, when they have dry humor, they will sometimes repeat what the other person has said word for word and, mm-hmm. like, without much inflection. And, like, that is a part of dry humor, so that might be some of his humor coming out. Yeah, I think he's flirting with her. <laughs> I really do think he is. This and the next couple stuff he does, he's never been this way before. Um, this is flirtation, plain and simple. I just saw it as him looking out for Kim, the way she looked was looking out for him. That too. Yeah, that too. In, I think, episode, like, some of the early 60 episodes. 63, I think. What, what did I say? I think you're really I was going to say, it's like, looking out for her, it's like, that too, but also doing a dash of floating. It's like, <laughs> he is loosening up quite a bit from the past few places we've seen them mm-hmm. and that is good and yeah he what he does next i also i'm shocked he picks her up by the collar <laughs> which i never thought he would voluntarily touch her like that and he says if you want them to live the fight another day you need to take a break too it's like sorry guys it's like She's the cat, you know, and you pick cats up from the top of their neck. <laughs> Doing that with her collar. Yep. And she slaps his cheeks. She's like, I don't need my butt. And he's like, I'm squished. I need veggies. <laughs> so if you care about my butt so much, help me, almighty Lieutenant Hawks. And he's like, all right, all right. Or more accurately, all right, all right. <laughs> Oh, just stop doing that with my face and everyone's looking at them and it is so cute that is total flirting sorry and the, this other guy see what i said this other guy's like would you help me too lieutenant i just told you none of he's not helping anyone else it's just kim who gets this treatment r.i.p that one officer stuck in an unrequited <laughs> love triangle with kim and will yep so three hours later, which means midnight, midnight, and there's like literally everyone still in the office, which is insane. It's like crazy hours. 
<laughs> Kim slams down paper, gets up with her foot on the desk, says, we're finally done. See, that's why you should do the paperwork. It's much faster when it's done by you. And he has this skeptical look and he's like, nice try, Kim. Also, get down. You're disturbing the others. She's like, I have office productivity at heart, unlike you. Will smiles. <laughs> he has a smile on his face. Oh, he likes her. He just does. Yeah. He makes him laugh. <laughs> I was so happy to see that smile because this poor boy, you know, he doesn't smile enough. Okay, I see I'm the only uh, Will simp around here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I'm sorry. I'm not particularly vocal with my simping, so I keep my simping on the inside. I prefer his future fiance. <laughs> the arranged future fiance. Well, yeah, let's let's hope it's not his actual fiance. His father hopes fiance. And she's like, it got late. Please go get some sleep before tomorrow. We've been up since 6 a.m. Oh my goodness gracious. Six to midnight. It's ridiculous. And Kim's like, by the time I get home, I'll have just enough time left to take a quick nap and get back here. Might as well put an all-nighter and get ahead in some files. Like, what happened to her watermelon plan? I don't know. Yeah, I wondered about that when I read that too. It's like, okay, so was the restaurant and the watermelon thing just an an excuse for her to stay late or did she forget about that? Or maybe she figures, okay, I can go home, catch a few Z's and cram in some more work before we go out because it's likely they probably won't, they probably have a set time that they're probably going to go out for like either lunch or dinner so mm-hmm. it's likely mm-hmm. she's trying to squeeze in work before that time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's like besides i got my trusty sidekick with me and it's her coffee mug and it says on it the tears of my paper proofreaders which we know <laughs> so logo on bottom says tears of my readers but now it's tears of my paper proofreaders i'm pretty sure they also sell a tears of my readers mug <laughs> So, I'm going to say, I used to be I used to be a writing tutor when I was in college, and I will tell you the tears are real when you're reading other people's work, and it's like, oh no, basic grammar, people. I actually edited for years, so I've definitely done my share of proofreading, but I like it. I enjoyed it. That's why I did it. <laughs> um, and she's like, ready to keep you up all night. Wink. She's <laughs> cute. And he's like, well, okay, this, I was blushing when he said this, because he says, well, I know a place not too far from here where you could actually spend the night with someone else just as available for you. <laughs> okay, what did you guys think when you read this? Yeah, my very first thought was, wait, is he actually going to be bored enough to, like, invite her to his place? Is he that close? Or, like, this it is like very unwill like mm-hmm. to be even offering our first genuine proposition like Kieran's fake proposition well I posit Kieran's half fake half real propositions but like but were you simping no I wasn't <laughs> maybe right. Bella said yeah. it <laughs> yeah that's but because you know like, who's going to like, there it flew over my head when I first read it and I had to go back and be like wait a minute <laughs> I think he knows what he's doing though. He has that little smirk on his face. I think he knows, which is also a sign that like 
he's teasing her and he's growing closer to her and he's relaxing around her. These are things he would not have done several months ago. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think we've seen a lot more playful sides of him. And I think a lot of it does have to do with him having the shared experience with Kim of watching Lauren go up in flames and then finding out finding out oh no she didn't die she was loon and like a lot of like their trials have, I think have brought them even closer together mm-hmm. yeah I agree and Kim is like what she looks and I think she has a little soft look on her face because I do think that she is intrigued by that you know I don't know if I think they're both oblivious like I don't think they think they care for each other I think they are growing closer but I don't think they think about each other romantically just yeah but maybe it's like underneath somewhere what do you guys think yeah I don't think Kiwi are really at like oh yeah I I recognize that I have romantic feeling for you or I even do have like romantic feelings for you like I think they're still like you know they're really just in that kind of comfortable friendship phase right now it's not super comfortable because they're still reeling from believing their best friend got blown up but it's like you know it's getting there right and um I think this season is really gonna build on that friendship more and really see like the platonicness of that relationship and then maybe closer to the end of the season it's gonna really go like oh maybe I do like you more than friends mm-hmm yeah, I hope so. I hope at some point there'll there'll be a romance section because <laughs> it's leading up and yeah. And he answers, he's like, the infirmary bed. <laughs> Thank you. <Bill. laughs> and Kim is like shocked. She looks up and then she explodes in laughter and she's like, <clears throat> ha 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 ha. She like she literally has tears out of her eyes. She just cannot stop laughing. She is all over the place, like kneeling down on the desk in many positions and she just like is on the floor literally laughing and the whole office is like staring at her so clearly she has like reached that overtired point where she's like she's gone yeah (laughs) yeah especially since when I first saw that punchline I was like oh okay like my instinct was grown it's a grown joke it's not laugh out loud and roll on the ground joke (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> but yeah she's she is uh she's uh a goner so will grabs her arm she's like okay i think you really need to sleep let's get you to lie down and uh joy you can take over okay so now he's dragging her through the hall and he's apologizing to all these all these different people as he's passing sorry 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 and in between that kim is going hysterical and she's saying was that a joke did you just joke this is the first time I've heard you joke. <laughs> and that's actually kind of interesting because she, um, yeah, I think it really is showing a little more how much they're loosening up, but I think she's also starting to see this other side of him mm-hmm. as well. That he does actually have a sense of humor. But anyway, and so... Officer Jefferson says, Lieutenant Hawks, you are still here? And He's still here too. <laughs> yep. And so Will just says, Officer Jefferson, and nods in his direction. And Lauren, uh, Kim, sorry, with tears in her eyes, says, 
Oopsie, I had to tell Lauren about this. Will, get me the phone. <laughs> yes, she's really losing it at this point. Mm -hmm. And so they switched to scene and they're in the infirmary now. And then someone, I think it's Kim, says, at least the protest went well yesterday. There were no outbursts. We didn't need to intervene. And Will replies, yeah, that's good. Sorry for leaving you, leaving the patrol in your charge yesterday. I just have to say, like, the very fact that he's sitting down with her while she's lying on the bed, mm, that's some intimacy right there. Mm -hmm. I think he kind of wants a private moment with her. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, like, Mindy, like, he wants to be able to talk to her, you know, because given everything that they've gone through, they're they have been like they have become definitely closer together and it's like you know they don't because of what they've experienced together it's not like they really have that same relationship with other people like you know will's not going to be telling officer jefferson about Raphael, but you know kim yeah. is probably more, he's probably more likely to open up about it um and especially like the factory arc a very big trauma bonding moment <laughs> for Kim and Will it's um I think it just makes it easier for them to talk to each other about these sort of things because you know they're kind of like the only ones who really understand what it's like and so having that sh uh, sort of like shared experience is really just playing a factor in how they interact with each other and and you know it's kind of like you know I I talk to you now like because you're the one who understands what I'm going through and I also enjoy your company and you know having this time with you because of all these things has really made me realize that and I really appreciate you like being there for me and I th and that's why like he I think that's why like Will apologizes for leaving Kim behind mm -hmm. to go help with Lauren because you know it is still pretty stressful for them as officers but you know they have each other and he didn't he didn't want to have to leave behind Kim but he kind of had to to help Lauren Mm -hmm. right. yeah so Will continues I felt it'd be safer for Lauren to get back home accompanied she's not working until the theater night I'm actually kind of relieved that. Mm -hmm. yeah which I'm kind of I'm, part of me is like relieved that they have that official ruling in place from her superiors like, like just for her physical and probably some mental well-being but yeah, I kind of have a feeling she's not going to do a whole lot of resting. <laughs> yeah, the police are surprisingly well adjusted to taking care of their officers. Like the therapy, I'm pretty sure, was like mandated by like the superiors in the office. They were like, yeah, you got to go to therapy, you know? And I'm pretty sure Will also had to go through it. We just didn't see it. But it was like mandated for them. So. Mm -hmm. They have these like guidelines in place for, you know, Lauren. So they are looking out for their officers, and I appreciate that. Mm. Oh, yes. this overtime is not exactly healthy. Yeah. Yeah, there's. I guess I think with a lot of officers is they, it's like a lot of them do, like. A lot of them are coming in. It's like if they don't know, they learn very quickly that the job is not for the faint of heart. There's going to be some sacrifices, but 
on the other side, uh, it is up to the administration and their superiors to make sure that they can function well enough to be able to able to to exert themselves should the occasion arise. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyhow, is that everything up for this section? Yeah, thanks, so. Okay, all right. So Kim says, thanks for taking care of her. I knew the return would be too soon for her. She told me her upcoming plans, and I'm still worried it might be too early for her body to handle. And Will says, she did say we'll be working on lead together once she's recovered, so that's good. We'll be able to watch her more closely. And Kim sighs. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I guess she says, yeah, right, and then sighs. And says, anyways, talking about the protest. By the way, um, just a question. When she says her upcoming plans, is that what Willow was referring to? That they'll work on leads together? But do you think that's what she meant by upcoming plans? I, I like, I genuinely don't remember if Lauren has mentioned working more closely with Kiwi about Loon. No, I don't think um, so. I'm a little concerned because I'm like kind of confused on what Lauren's trying to get at because she did recently mention how like, yeah, I can't like, I can't tell people about Loon because, you know, it puts them at risk. And like, I, I kind of understand telling or like explaining to Kim and Will why she's Loon, you know, what she has accomplished. But like, even so back in episode 111 I was still like "Mm, I don't know I feel like this is a little much like Mm -hmm. she was really going into depth about like Flemings and such and I was like I don't is this really stuff they need to know but I guess it makes sense if they're going to be working on the leads together but then again I don't really I'm I'm kind of questioning Lauren right now because I'm like why are you like I don't know why she would want to get more people involved when I really don't think there needs to be unless she needs like cover for Herman Mm -hmm. um because like she's just setting herself up with liabilities and you know more people in on loon more people it's more likely that they're going to get found out Mm -hmm. uh, more people that she's responsible for who could get hurt um and you know especially like if now that kim and will actually do know something if the phantom scythe catches on then she and kieran won't be the only targets kim and will will also be like heavily affected by it yes yeah, I, and I guess we'll see. I'm also curious about that. Yeah, my thought was they there probably is some behind the scenes uh, conversation that they had that we as the audience haven't been privy to because we kind of like the last good chunk of chapters we have really not seen high nor hair of Lauren, <laughs> so it's been pretty much focused on. A whole on the other characters and their thoughts and feelings following the factory org and how they're reacting to the and the leader warming up the plan and keeping an eye on the seventh apostle all that kind yeah. of stuff so i think there's a lot more story going on here than what we're seeing yeah and i think i like how this is like definitely some foreshadowing for eclipse um, which is, you know, that very popular theory that Kiwi <laughs> and Loki are eventually going to team up together and kick ass. Um, so that that gets me excited. But I am just 
slightly concerned for Lauren. I'm like, girl, think this through, <laughs> especially with the betrayal prediction. I don't know if she's thought about it. Re- I can't remember if she's thought about it recently, but I'm like, the more pe- I'm like, Lauren, the more people you let in on this, you're, you're setting yourself up. Just be careful. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wondered though, if some of it, some of that isn't like completely rational. It's like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is more the emotional, even if her, if yeah. she would rationally know, right. like she initially planned on keeping them out anyways, but then pretty much, everyone who knows her more or less figured it out anyway so I think a lot of it is she felt like she owed them some explanation and then it's kind of like once she started it's almost like you can't stop Mm -hmm. so that's a good point anyhow so Kim's I'm sorry are you going to go on then yeah all right. So Kim says, anyway, talking about the protest, you know, I can't help but think the right part of me wanted to support the protest. And Will says, yeah. And Kim replies, my family's middle class, so we get by, but it's because we're among the lucky ones. Some things should definitely should change. And even though the family set's always been our enemy, some of their points are right. Despite using the very wrong methods. Will says, yeah, I see what you mean. I'm not blind to the outrageous privileges associated with our title. While children die starving on the South Shore, some things do need to change. I just hope the protests won't incite more violence. So, I'm sorry. Um, does anyone else have thoughts about this section? It's nice to to hear them talk about, you know, the political, social, you know, um, topics. That's obviously a very important part of this this comic, and we've been talking about it. So it's nice to hear the main characters have some, you know, self awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just gonna say I don't think middle class was a term that they really used in early 1900s, but that's okay because it's not necessarily historically accurate. It's pretty contemporary, so. <laughs> I mean, Kieran and Bella were quoting Barbie, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but I think it's great that, you know, that they're, that they're thinking about it and talking about it. And, you know, I think what she said about the Feds and Scythe is, is just very consistently put. Like, they have good points, but they're using, like, terrorism, which means killing innocent people, to, to make them, so. Yeah, uh, and I really think that the fact that the Scythe is using this very extreme method is like, I have, especially as we learn more about the leader, I am really less and less inclined to believe that they actually are about social change. And they're like, definitely the leader isn't. But yeah, so anyhow. Um, I, yeah, I, I really like how Kim acknowledges uh, these very relevant issues in the comic because it has been a, a while since these topics were brought up uh, I think like the last time they were like super seriously talked about was probably like episode 86 not 86 68 there we go and you know that was between Lauren 
and Kieran. And so we haven't actually seen Kim and Will really like, you know, even go near this sort of topic. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it really cool that they are doing that because there has been a lot of speculation about how Kim feels about it, how Will feels about it. And a lot of that speculation, especially pertaining to Kim, just lines up perfectly with like what Kim was saying here that, you know, we know that Kim is middle class. Uh, we think that she'd probably like, you know, sort of understand um, those what like what the fan of Scythe claims to be fighting for um because like lauren is completely oblivious to it when like karen talks to her um and i do wonder like do kim and will acknowledge their role in it like because they are police officers and i do remember i did talk to some people before about like over the hiatus we were talking about how uh, how Lauren hasn't really ever brought up the issues of police brutality to Kim and Will following uh, her experiences in episode 68 and like I wonder like how police brutality will play into Kim and Will and how they see themselves because they definitely do take on a more sympathetic approach here but they don't acknowledge that they themselves are part of the issue but because they are part of a system and it's not them as individuals that are the issue. It's just their system and how they as police officers do actively enforce and maintain that system. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that too, right? Because, um, you know, I mean, on the whole, their jobs are probably, you know, more positive and they seem to see themselves as, you know, protecting the city. And I'm sure they do that for most of their day, right? So like, but the fact that they're on these patrols, right? So the patrols are for increased safety, right? So they're just like mm-hmm. adding, you know, they're on the streets to check for more, for anything. But the checkpoints, that's already, that's the oppressive part, right? So we haven't, like, they're not doing checkpoints as far as we can see, right? But yeah, I'm definitely curious if they'll, if they'll start thinking about that, you know, what yeah. aspects of their job are, are helping, you know, make the theme themselves upset. Especially um, Will's line about how, I just hope the protests won't incite more violence. And I think that's very honorable and very noble. Like, you, like violent protests, it's, I mean, depending for what issue, it's, it can like go very badly. Um, and, you know, you don't want people to get hurt. That's the main thing. You, mm-hmm. you know, harm is what they are trying to avoid. And mm-hmm. I, I just find it interesting because the word violence, you know, that, it's a very important word i'm pretty sure kieran uses it in 68 to say that like enforcing the enforcing justice through violence is like not the way to do it something like that and so how do you enforce so if someone is using violence though against other people like in breaking the laws say or like in terrorism how do you stop them by like you know well my point is that kind of my i guess given my issue with like having a straight up no absolutely no violence like pacifist kind of approach is that there are some situations and some people that are just that literally 
just stopping them and sometimes stopping them with the same amount of violence is the only way to ensure safety for the most people involved. I mean, we live in a fallen world. Like, there's always going to be casualties. And and a lot of innocent people do get hurt. Mm -hmm. Are going to get hurt. But uh, sometimes you do have to just do what is necessary to for the safety of others to lessen the damage, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. But I think what Kieran's point was is that the police force is a system that enforces justice through violence, like very much generally. Um, and we, the points that that line sort of calls to that we've seen in the past are... Uh, when Lauren smashes like stake against the mirror and when Lauren and Will pull a gun out on that thief and yeah violence and you know weapons are definitely something that are used to protect other people and they are unnecessary for some situations but Kieran's point was that not all situations require violence however the police force still use violence or they still use more violent methods and it was definitely supposed to be a commentary on you know our own systems in real life and uh, i don't think that we've seen so much of that in this like in in the panels that we've like had right now we're not right now i wouldn't say that this is real life commentary but i think 68 just given like the time it was published and around when it was written with the a lot of the world events that were going on around the time because it was published in late 2020 so there were a lot of protests that summer um especially around police brutality i and you know the violence that police use i think it was sort of like supposed to lean into those ideas and lean into a lot of what the world had been going through at the time but i i just find it interesting that will Will is concerned about the protests becoming violent, which which is a valid concern, you know, because again, we don't want people to get hurt. But he also works within a system that enforces through violence. Anyway, I think what he says next is really um, interesting. I'm happy that there's a lot to discuss there. So if you want to read those panels. Sure. So Will continues. Families like mine have been their prime target. To be honest with you, it's almost weird that my father's head is not already rolling on the ground. He was chief of police and actively involved in governmental decisions back when it all started. Not many of his past colleagues are still alive. They were practically all assassinated. So then, why was my father kept alive? And you actually see a close-up of his hands. They're kind of trembling and gripping at each other. As he says this, and he continues, do they have a reason? Part of me has always been afraid we'd be their next victims. Mm. So before we get to like the emotional part, uh, let's do some theorizing. I I have some theories. I'll let you guys go first. <laughs> um, Will makes a really good point because it, it's not mentioned here, but uh, Stefan, before he was chief of police, was also ahead of the military in like he was 
the top general or something within the Artalist military. And then I think he became police chief. So that's like another like title that Stefan has. So yeah, I really like Will acknowledging this. And I, re- because it seems like something that, you know, it's obvious to us, but we don't really know if it's obvious to the characters, right? And so here they are acknowledging like this pretty big idea. And I, I love seeing this. Um, and mm. I'm not like a huge supporter of this, of like the leader Stefan theory because like Stefan actively benefits from the systems and he hasn't really been portrayed as a character who would who matches up with the morality of the leader and the ideals of the leader so that kind of like holds me back but one of my close friends Charles uh last night posted a theory that Stefan is in fact the leader and that's why you know that kind of keeps him protected him and his family protected and I don't remember too much because I read it at like really late but there was a great point that stuck out to me a lot how the angels symbolism uh from the party arc with Doc and Tristan and Stefan was supposed to represent how they were the heads of these different organizations in Artalis and so Dokken he's like with the royals right he represents the royals Tristan he represents the cops right and then Stefan represents the phantom scythe and he's the top of the phantom scythe and that i was like oh my god you big brain <laughs> um there's definitely some more points so i'll go find them and you guys i'd love to hear what you guys think no, i think i think it's kind of stretching it to say stefan is a leader because like all the points above that you mentioned food mm-hmm. uh like the leader is supposed to at least nominally be particularly supposed to be concerned for the poor and everything we know of will of Hawks, Mr. Hawks is that he just flat out doesn't. Hmm. Uh so my thought is that maybe Raphael is like the linchpin as to why they why Will and his family haven't been targeted yet mm. even though they're like they should be at the top of the site hit list because and i don't know if it has to do with like they are blackmailing raphael through like by saying we will we will kill them we have no reason not to unless you cooperate with us or if raphael himself is somehow providing some active like protection, I think I lean, lean more strongly towards the first scenario, though, because as Raphael, as far as we know, is probably just the messenger. So I don't think a messenger would really have a whole lot of sway as to like as to who gets certain protections and who's not. Mm-hmm. I, I well, like that theory. I always thought I never yeah. thought. I didn't think Stefan was necessarily the leader, but I thought he might be one of the apostles. Um, because yeah, like he hasn't been killed yet. And then we know from you know last couple episodes that the at least some of the PS are nobility. Um, but I will say also the fact that he, you know, is clearly very unsympathetic to the poor in his in his real life that we've seen so far could just be an excellent act. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like. I was thinking. Um, okay, so like, I really like the idea that it's Raphael, not Stefan, who's the one like protecting his family, uh, because it definitely does tie into like you know what we see with Bella and what we see with Kieran and Sandman, where like you know they're kind of kept in the Phantom Scythe, uh, or they were kept in the Phantom Scythe by like the blackmailing of their family, and. But for that, it would mean that keeping Raphael in the Phantom Scythe is more important to the Phantom Scythe than killing, uh, killing off one of the top people in the country, that being Stefan, his dad. Um, and I did like, this was a really, really old theory, but I think it came up in like Charles's theory last night, but like if Stefan were a leader or just let's say some high ranking Phantom Scythe um, person, maybe the reason that he's trying to get Will to marry Darcy is because Darcy has connections to the Royals Mm. and um, because of that, you know, he will have like he will basically like place Will into the circle of the Royals and through that he can get more information or, or whatnot on the Royals and he's basically just building like a web. Hmm. And I, I thought that was a really interesting idea. That's cool. I like it. Hmm. Well, now we have a, a nice emotional part. I, I feel so bad for him. Like his hands are shaking. You know, it's it's nice that Will's sharing that with us that like yeah, we didn't think about it from his perspective. Like he could have been fearing for his life, his whole life, because he knows his father's powerful and the PS is after, you know, rich and powerful people like him. That's scary to live like that. Like every night you go to sleep and you don't know if you're going to be murdered in your bed because of your dad. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wonder if Lauren had to go through that or more likely Tristan and Dawkin, mm-hmm. because specifically after Lauren finds out that her parents were apostles like I I don't know honestly given Lauren it probably didn't cross her mind but um I think it would be interesting if the fandom side did use Lauren perhaps as like blackmail towards her parents you know we'll hurt Lauren if you don't do what we say Hmm. I've I've you know what I suspect I suspect that they never mind no, 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 no. My theory was off. <laughs> yeah, I will say, like, say that this line of, like, probably has always been afraid we'd be the next victims. Like, I was very much getting Tale of Two City vibes from this little revelation of how he's always fearing for his life. Mm. And I'm not sure, are you either of you familiar with the Tale of Two Cities? Yeah, I mean, it's been a uh, like, funny year since I read it, but yeah. <laughs> rings a bell and i probably was familiar with it at some point but right now i'm kind of like pretty empty yeah yeah Yeah, so the the part that i was thinking of is pretty much the whole story is the family is going through the third wave of the french revolution and the and one of the main characters is put on trial because his daddy is rich, but not also because, but not only because his dad was rich, but because his dad had, uh, had basically attacked some, 
had attacked one of his tenants earlier and had more or less gotten and had gone rid of all the witnesses to the event but he was but he and his but this guy Charles Donay and his family were the ones suffering for most for something that they didn't do they were not even a part of because he would have been like five or so when the inciting incident actually happened mm. but he's the one paying the price for his father's actions yeah so. that's a good point also i mean the tale of two cities i think is very relevant here where you have like the rich and the, the very rich and the very poor in the same city right so yeah. <laughs> okay so kim says that's awful i'm sorry will i didn't mean to and will cuts it off with it's okay i think i'm more afraid the atst will repeat itself again more trauma poor boy i know it's like he's already been through and seen so much like and a lot of the violence with being a police officer, he's definitely had to be on call every time there's like a purple hyacinth murder or something like that. And so he's probably seen a lot more as well. And like, yeah, so there's a small moment where Kim is just kindly looking at Will and you get a close up of Will's sad eyes. And then Kim asks, She's you... with a lot of sympathy. She's very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. So Kim asks, were you friends with Dylan too? And Will says, yes. Well, not as much as Lauren. My father didn't really allow me to befriend him too much, but he was one of my only friends at the time. My heart. Oh. I know. It's like... I think it's kind of interesting that Kim actually thinks to connect the thinks to connect the dots with the like when he mentions the ATST and that one was actually a very specific event and she knows that Lauren has and she knows that Lauren, their mutual friend, has kind of been angsting over what happened with Dylan. And that incident. So she's kind of piecing together, wait a minute, if they were mutual friends, it's likely Will would have known Dylan as well. Right. <laughs> and honestly, a little bit more of Will's background is like, he, I forget, I think he only has like the two friends. Because he does say he was one of my only friends. So. And we do know that he has a picture of him and Dylan and Lauren. So I really think those, like, he was must have had a very lonely childhood. Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe his mom and his older brother might have been the only other people to, like, truly love him mm-hmm. in that point. But, like, beyond all that. Okay. Yeah. So Kim says, I see. And well, continues. Uh, she never accepted his death. I did. And it's the only reason I've been able to move on. Only 
too soon, it seems. I keep thinking that if we had searched further that day, and then we had that flashback where he's telling Lauren, he's gone, Lauren, we have to get away. And Will continues his part in the present day. If we had not given up so quickly, maybe we would have been able to find him. Aww, that's sad. What do, do you think? Do you think so? Or do you, I mean, well, we have our theory suspicions about a villain was kidnapped, but I think like I want to say that like I think I really like Kim asking about Dylan. Uh, not Dylan. Yes, I really like Kim asking about Dylan because um, she's like the only one of the of the Lauren Will Kim trio to not have known Dylan, and. I wonder like how that was like for Kim because she only really entered that dynamic like two or three years ago and so she like Will and Laura knew each other for much longer and so it must have been like a bit weird for Kim because the two have so much history together and like I had a horrible thought just now I was like oh my god what if like Kim is just still in replacement or something but <laughs> But um, I like how Kim's learning more about Dylan. Like, that's cool to me because she was the one who didn't know him. Mm-hmm. And then um, on Will, like, feeling guilty over, like, m- maybe, like, he was still out there. But because we left, like, he he died or for some reason because we couldn't find him. I think it's really interesting that Will is guilty about this because in the flashback itself, we do see that because of Will, Lauren actually doesn't die because he pulls her out and then stuff comes crashing down in the background, like where they were. And Will probably didn't realize it, but he saved Lauren's life in that in that moment. You know, if they had stayed out there, then they both would have gotten hurt and probably died. But because oh, he was like... I don't, I don't remember that they crashed down where they were exactly, but okay. I'll read it again. Oh, I, I remember reading a crash like if you go back to the scene nah, i remember the crash behind them i just don't remember that it was right where they were but yeah definitely dangerous it, near there near them it was yeah. point is it was a very dangerous place um and so because he pulled lauren out they both survived and ultimately that in my opinion was more important in that situation because they knew where each other were they knew that they had an opportunity to get out and you know they were, they were kids that they had to prioritize their own safety first. Yep. Yeah, I think it's like interesting that we almost see the humanness though that he's like he'll he occasionally looks back and he has some regret about not like I think it's very human to second guess your past decisions, like especially for something like this where it's like you almost feel like you have to choose between saving yourself or saving someone else. And, you know, and it almost feels like, feels like every decision you make is somehow going to be the wrong one, but also the right one. So, yeah. Very interesting how human this is all going. And I don't know if you're hearing this, but I am getting a ton of notifications on my thing. Don't worry, we can't hear it. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. All right. So, 
there's a pause and Kim says, it must have been terrified the night at the factory. And Will kind of looks with looks at her with, I believe, slight astonishment. Mm. And she says, it's as if yeah, everything happened. Someone is acknowledging his feelings because he's yeah. always used to acknowledging other people's feelings and listening to other people's feelings. I don't think he ever talks about or almost never talks about his own feelings. And to have someone pay attention to that and validate that it's just so affirming for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially like, not only did Will like just not get a lot of focus by other characters in the factory arc, he just wasn't very present in the factory arc. Like, he was there, but he didn't exactly do much. And so, you know, shining a light on how he felt, especially um, in 106, after 106, because there was that tiny flashback at the beginning, but it was overall a very much Kim-centered episode where it focused a lot on how Kim was feeling about the factory arc. And now here it is. Will also getting that, you know, affirmation and that concern. And I, I like seeing it. I like seeing him get acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kim does a little more acknowledging. It's as if everything happened all over again. And yet you stood there for me. And then she hugs him and says, I'm sorry, you didn't have to, but thank you, William. And William Mm -hmm. pauses, and then he closes his eyes. I guess he's leaning into the hug, and he says, always. (laughs) TV shippers just got their new catchphrase. Oh my gosh. I mean, forget QE shipping. This is just so beautiful, and Queen and friends and they're there for each other and William gets some attention and some care and some like affection and he needs it so desperately and he accepts it which is half the battle and is like just very warm and comforting in this episode you know and you can kind of just like feel what they're going through through the lighting like I just want to say the lighting in this episode oh so good the art always it's always great always amazing yeah and it's uh these two for will like you even see like the attention to detail like he's fidgeting with his fingers while mm-hmm. you know before she starts hugging him which that is you know just indicative of his his anxiety really yeah, i think it's really nice that will does have someone that he can open up to about his personal feelings like and actually voice them because i feel like it's sort of different with Lauren because they grew up together so she can more or less guess how he's feeling in these different circumstances like the closest we've gotten though is like I think it's the last episode where he was telling her how much watching her die had affected him and but having him talk some more about some of his inner feelings I think there was a part of him that held back about saying what he feels about Dylan like as far as he knows dying in the ATST and maybe even his role in that like even like yes we know he wasn't directly responsible but emotionally he feels somewhat responsible for the fact that Dylan died or had disappeared and 
like, but he doesn't really see any of this part to Lauren because she's already got her own trauma relating with uh, dealing with Dylan's disappearance, possibly death. And so who does he really go to? His brother had run off, his mom, I don't know, I don't know what the deal is with the mom. We do know at this point she doesn't even remember him because of her dementia but yeah i think it's really nice to see all these characters just opening up a lot more about their feelings and having someone to you know to voice their feelings and to receive some comfort as well yeah. it is uh, and that line always uh, <laughs> Well, we're ready for our third section. Talking and Tristan. Dagestan. I like them. I love my kings. Okay. So we get, honestly, it's becoming a bit of a iconic scene or iconic panel, but we get that one shot of Tristan and Norrin's house. Just to key you in. Change, uh, scene change. Mm-hmm. And we see Dokken in the attic. And he's going through the papers and it's most likely the Snapdragon files and whatnot. Okay, I just so, realized in that, that picture in the house, there's someone on the porch. <laughs> you see that? Oh my oh. god. What the hell? Oh. Leaning over the balcony. Is that supposed to be Lauren? <laughs> <gasps> no, I think it's Darcy. Oh, really? Oh my god. That makes you sense. I and then Sophie and F. You big brains. Oh my god. That... <laughs> Damn, I didn't even think of that. I I just noticed it. I'm wondering, like, I was like, oh, that's nice. They reused one of their previous photos where Lauren's staring out the the balcony. I'm like, wait. (laughs) Wait a minute. No, because. uh, Now we have to check the previous shots and see if. What subtle. They recycled it. Genius foreshadowing. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Okay, so we have have Dawkins and Tristan in the attic. Or we see Tristan first, and he's looking through. the papers and files and he looks very concerned as he looks down and he's looking at a framed uh, picture of him Dawkins, march what is most likely annabelle march uh, alexander rachel stefan probably josephine and then will dylan and lauren the photo is dated on october 13th xx13 which is lauren's birthday And you can see that Lauren's wearing a little party hat. And she would have been turning eight right in this photo, Mm. if my math is correct. And he looks just very melancholic and very sad, you know, and he's hunched over. He's he's on his knees. And um, Dawkins climbs up the ladder and Dawkins sees him and he sighs and he comes over to Tristan, who's still on his knees, and he kneels down as well. And Tristan says, I still can't quite believe it. My own brother. For how long? And I think just given how we've seen Tristan speak to Lauren and how like none of it has really come off as a lie uh, in some of the earlier episodes, I think we can safely cross off Tristan from the Phantom Scythe suspect Thank list you. which is Wonderful. honestly such a relief because if that man turned out to be fantasized i would be so betrayed i would take it personally guys i know one person finally who was like morally unquestionable as far as we know 
Tristan is my healthy father figure, my healthy fictional father figure. If anything bad happens to him, I'm I'm going down with him, you know. Um, oh, something bad is gonna happen to him. Yeah. If, well, as we discussed, like, if Joe and F want to give us real stakes, something bad has to happen to us, people we care about. Yeah. I, oh my god. If if they go with the mentor dies trope, but it's not Sandman who dies and it's Tristan, I won't know what to do with myself. I will cry the entire okay. night. I think we're gonna have both. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think Sandman will die soon and Tristan will die later. <laughs> I don't know. But, I keep yeah. thinking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say. I think they need to keep Tristan around a little longer. So when the, they reveal that Dawkins is the leader, they can have that sweet, sweet Dawkinson angst. <laughs> yes. Yes. Bill <laughs> would definitely question. Um, I don't know. I keep thinking that Tristan might be the one to die next, because, and one of my reason for that is you had the uh back when they had Lauren at the um like at the grave site and she has a final message for Dylan of I'm gonna keep fighting for you and then you had the transition from like I call it the dearly departed angel because you know what else am I because it's the angel near the graveyard but anyways you have Tristan, I believe, in that transition is directly mimicking the angel mm. in that. Mm-hmm. So I don't, so I'm not sure if that's like some sort of foreshadowing that he is like going to be the next to die. Mm-hmm. And probably a little later with the you know who is quite possible. Yeah. I do think he is gonna he's he's an important character that we love and like someone that we love has to die. So I think he's in, in the running for that. <laughs> I'm gonna say something outrageous here. I would rather Bella dies than Tristan dies. And yeah. I know I know Mindy, I'm thinking about it because I see your background and I'm just thinking about Bella right now, you know. But I'm like I feel like if Bella went out She'd go out with a bang, you know? She'd be like, this is my final F you to the world. But when Tristan goes, and I'm going to cry really hard for both of them if it happens. But when Tristan goes out, it's going to be tragic. Like, Bella's also going to be tragic, but I feel like she would do it on her own terms, which is true. Well, boss, I guess. I think you're right. And you know what? Honestly, Bella, like, I don't know if she really enjoys her life. I mean, and that sounds like a horrible thing to say, but like, I don't know. I feel like her life was stolen from her. And I don't know if, like, this is the life that she would choose for herself, really. Mm. Yeah. But, like, Tristan, I feel like, you know, he still has so much with, like, Lauren that we've been seeing. And I really just, I want them to stay happy, you know? And I know Bella sees like, my top ship. And I'm like, Bella, how do you feel, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Ideally, they both survive. And Tristan adopts Bella. Because as we see, he's getting acquainted with her girlfriend. So he might as well just take in both of them. I don't think so. Bella is like, I think she's an adult, basically. And she's I, like, she oh, needs a healthy you. father figure. I mean, third time's the charm, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not certain if Bella herself would actually accept that, though, because 
as we have seen, she's been burned by father figures several mm-hmm. times. So, she's yeah. too old for a father figure, really. <laughs> and then, so Tristan is very much distressed over what Lauren has told him about Alexander, and we didn't we didn't see that conversation, unfortunately. Um, so we don't really know to the extent of what was shared, but it's pretty damning. And Dokken pats it back and he says, I know, Tristan, I know. I'm like, what do you mean by that? I know. What do you mean by that? (laughs) You knew? Did you did you know that he was Snapdragon? Did you know that he was fandom size? I think that's what he means. Mm -hmm. Did he does he know the pain of betrayal because they (laughs) went against his fandom site cause? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like that's the one thing that keeps me. That's a, one of the main things that keeps me from shipping Duxton is that Dokken is very, very, very sus in my book, and mm-hmm. I am the I cannot wish happy endings on villains type of person. <laughs> so. I mean, Karen is the purple hyacinth, and Bella has killed a lot of people. So we got to make compromises here. <laughs> no one, no one is morally correct there's always one of them that's a little morally reprehensible yeah you know some of us i don't know like we we you know we litter some of us we kill people i mean like we all have our flaws we're all working on it you know (laughs) some of us just happen to be war criminals there's nothing we can do about it (laughs) okay this is when it has been does not understand why i'm in love with him yeah okay so Tristan says, I have gone through every single thing we kept from them. Not a trace of their activities. I'm assuming he's talking about Lauren's parents. I knew they were supporting the Snapdragon back then, but I never thought they were part of it. And then founding members of the Phantom Scythe. And we see uh, we see the photo. And I I have something interesting to share, but this photo this panel actually got replaced. Originally it was a wedding photo from Rachel and Alexander's wedding. And I believe it was replaced because it was a continuity error. Um, because they're supposed to be looking at this sort of like friends and family photo, not the wedding photo. So it, it did get replaced, but I, I screenshots of the original panel because there was a lady on the side of the wedding panel who by the end of the episode, because we see Darcy there, I was like, hold on, was that Darcy's mom? Like... <laughs> And because I think there is, like, some ambiguity to how the Darcys are related to the Sinclairs. But I'll get to that at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Tristan is very much, like, concerned over how Alexander and Rachel went behind his back, you know, to be Fantasite. And Duncan says, when I think about it, I am not that surprised. Which is an objective truth. You know, and even though Lauren's not here yeah. to like suss him out, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be surprised if you already knew. <laughs> and so he says they were both lawyers. Again, another objective truth. And Dokken does this a lot. He just says objective truth. Yes, like, but the road was right? so suspicious. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if he has actually learned this and like anyone else because i think march is also the the runner of suspect for leader position um where they have learned how to phrase stuff carefully so that it's objective truth enough truth that lauren wouldn't catch it but there's enough 
not said like because mm-hmm. they if they grew up with the Sinclairs they would have known Lauren and I'm not sure how much they would have known but known about her about her ability they probably might have discovered it early because she might have just blurted something like being the kid that she is is like caught them on oh that's a lie I know that and they very quickly like they learn how to phrase it so she doesn't catch it kind of like how Kieran has started doing that in a lot of his a lot of his interactions after he found out about what makes her ability tech so to speak yeah I I agree I think think that makes a lot of sense they've learned to to talk like that Mm -hmm. and so yeah Dawkins says they were both lawyers both disgusted by what they were seeing in their daily practice which confirms a lot because this was speculated before that you know the reason that um alexander and rachel really like got into snapdragon was because of their occupation as lawyers and so they really you know were kind of in the midst of like all these battles with the law and here here we get it confirmed which is i really like this it's really good like just characterization of the two mm-hmm. and Duggan says they were adamant about the necessity to bring about changes it used to create a lot of tensions with hawks um he's referring to seven and made them grow apart back when josephine was still there to soften his heart Mm. i want to cry (laughs) because i was i'm like on the train that like stefan not that bad and i do think he loves his wife very much and i've been on this train for a while Oh, and it's okay. really nice to see that, like, yeah, it, it, he does love his wife a lot. Hmm. Hmm. Also, it's very nice. I think this is, like, our first mention of Josephine Hawks since, like, way back in season one. Yeah. And the fact that she was apparently more soft-hearted, so that's nice. You know, we don't know how, when she started, like, going de- declining for health-wise, but, like, it's nice to know that someone nice raised Will, you know, or helped raise Will. Yeah, I think, I think Josephine was mentioned at the beginning of the party arc, mm. his party arc, mm. because they were like, "Oh, hey, is like Josephine doing us tonight or whatever?" Um, and so Dakin comforts Tristan, and he says, "She's not dead yet. I've heard she doesn't have long to live. Unfortunately, mm. not many of us remain." First Annabelle, then Rachel and Alexander. Josephine is now on the brink of death, and Stefan's been more distant than ever. Mm. And now it's not time to get melancholic. Pull yourself together, my dear. I'm gonna cry. I will actually cry. This scene took me out. I was I was a goner, you know. <laughs> Cause like I really like the idea of like their friend group, right? The older cast friend group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know like as we the character the characters that we saw in the photo and you know it's i like seeing that like the old generation and then we have the new generation which is like lauren kieran kim will bella darcy etc and their mentors are like the older generation and i really kind of just like that parallels it makes me happy inside just seeing it and also like the older generation gives me very much like harry potter marauders vibes mm-hmm um but yeah that's that's my two cents i i also do find it interesting that first annabelle 
meaning that Annabelle died before Alexander and Rachel because we don't actually know when she died but now we know that it was before Alexander and Rachel so Orion Massacre I'm just I'm just thinking you know years are turning in my head okay mm-hmm. yeah so there's a bit of a pause and Dawkins says there's someone waiting for you downstairs and when I saw this I was like hold on hold on wait who did you think it was I actually don't remember Mm -hmm. like I didn't think it was Darcy though (laughs) like I was like there's someone waiting who would it be would it like I might have thought it was Elizabeth but I genuinely don't remember so or maybe it was Kieran or someone. I don't know. I was just like, who is this person? Um, and Dokken looks at Tristan looks at Dokken and they cut. And then we see someone holding a very large mug. And I think it's supposed <laughs> to be tea. And then when I saw that, I was like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. My religion is near Atlanta Darcy breaking into gay people's houses and drinking tea. <laughs> because she's done this twice. Like, not only has she completely stolen the show at the end of an episode, but she's also just been waiting for people while drinking tea. It's like her <laughs> thing, you know. I think, That's again, funny. third time's a charm. Next time she's going to show up at my house and drinking <laughs> tea, and I'll be looking forward to it. Amen. May it be. <laughs> May your dreams so, come true. Yeah. And so you could always draw it, you know. I could. Mm-hmm. Or write it. I'm yeah. a little too powerful. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, Tristan walks in. Um, and Dokken is following him. And he says, excuse me for keeping you waiting, Lady Darcy. And she's there sipping tea. And she looks so fine. <laughs> Casual. And then the Super episode comfortable. After. Yep. Yeah, just like she owns the place. <laughs> Yeah, she is. So super confident. So I guess one thing I wonder about is since uh, Tristan did basically not Tristan Dawkins had to basically announce her to uh, Tristan, which was I think the reason why he came up in the first place mm. was to tell her. It's like I don't think it's like a total break in like it was at the Viper, but <laughs> there's certainly that parallel where she is like. But she definitely showed up unannounced, I believe. And there's mm-hmm. definitely the parallel of her being, like, not as dressed up. She's dressed down and her hair is down mm-hmm. and wild. Yeah. Um, this is <clears throat> very <throat> much, like, very similar to when she came to uh, Bella's house. Like, you know. And they're also the same type of length. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So she's very much more relaxed. As Dre said, her hair is down. You know, her clothes are much more casual. So this isn't supposed to be, like, a very, like, formal meeting. And, like, I do have some questions, like, why is she here? Why of all people? You know? And it does, as I mentioned earlier, it raises some questions of how, like, how she's associated to Tristan and Dawkin. Because, you know, she is, like, from a noble house. But she was invited to their New Year's party, even though, like, it, we didn't really know about any relationships between her family and the Sinclairs. Um... But, you know, that wedding panel that got taken out, mm-hmm. I was thinking about it, you know, and how, like, that art exists. It wasn't meant to be in this episode, but it was drawn. 
before it had and it probably had to have been drawn for like a reason you know and so an upcoming episode yeah i was thinking that it's gonna come in like maybe the next episode and that the woman who is kind of cut off who was rachel's bridesmaid in that panel because in the panel i should probably say like give it a description of it in the panel there's rachel in a wedding dress and then there's alexander next to her and then slightly behind alexander but next to him is tristan and then next to rachel there is a bridesmaid and then next to that bridesmaid there's another bridesmaid but she's very much like cut off in the photo and i have no idea who the first bridesmaid is like maybe my guess is either josephine or maybe rachel had a sister and then the cut off bridesmaid i was thinking maybe it was darcy's mom and that's how like um darcy knows the sinclairs because their her parents were close with you know uh, tristan's family and because lauren most definitely does not know them though that's the thing like lauren doesn't know darcy at the beginning or not at the beginning but like at the party like i'm pretty sure they were getting introduced there so they've never met in person before mm-hmm. but, yeah. I don't know. They, I don't know. If this is like something that had came was like it was a relatively new development because we we were finding out that there were a lot of people like I believe it was like Redcliffe and the leader that eventually climbed their ladder up to like their current position of riches and mm-hmm. I don't know if there was if something similar had happened with the Darcy family, just why they're not. Why they don't seem to have been included in that circle of friends that was that first generation that we referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously they're prominent enough that uh, Mr. Hawks thinks that it would be a good idea for to for Will to marry the daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I was talking to So for a while back and. We were joking about how it was that Caso posted this panel of Darcy saying like, "Oh, I'm very happy in the wardrobe," which is mm-hmm. funny because like in the it's kind of almost like an in the closet joke. Oh, that's and so funny. Darcy is very much a queer character, and so um, I was chatting with Soph, and Soph said that Nero is actually richer than Will's family. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, "Girl oh. boss," but yeah, I was thinking that. In that wedding photo it exists because tristan is going to show it to darcy in the next mm-hmm. episode tristan are talking and you know it's going to be like a small moment where it's like you know i i like I, I knew your family i knew your parents because we don't actually hear about darcy's parents i'm pretty sure we've heard about her grandma but not really much about you know her mother and father and then i was thinking like why is Darcy showing up uh, to the to like the Sinclair's house? Like, what does she need? And mm-hmm. someone brought up the point that this could be kicking off the like, oh, he's dead thing, mm-hmm. you know. So I hope that the he's dead thing is interesting because you know, but this definitely like does sort of like establish a relationship between Darcy and Dawkins and Darcy and Tristan. So if either of them dies, it would make sense that like she was kind of in on it. And she knows um, about it. 
Oh, sorry. Uh, and then I was thinking like that maybe Darcy is asking them for help with something, either like maybe she's telling them about Lisbeth's plans, or maybe she's um she's asking for help the way she asked Bella for help, but like because Bella declined, or we don't really know what's the situation with that because Bella wasn't really welcoming towards the idea of helping out Darcy, she has to go to someone else and she mm-hmm. has picked Tristan. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that she decides like she wants out of her life. You know, it seems like she's like working kind of like a spy for the queen and she hates it. So I feel like she's approaching Tristan to be, um, you know, I want out. How can you help me? I can give you information uh, about like shady business that the queen is doing and like you help me get out and not have to work for her anymore. That's mm-hmm. kind of my theory. I also kind of wonder, like, maybe she's going to Tristan because, like, he's chief of police, and right. this is a really kind of out there theory. But maybe she's going to expose the circus to Tristan. Oh, interesting. I was thinking the queen, but that's okay. Yeah, there's a multitude of what she could be here for. We really don't know, but um, to, yeah. because of. Darcy's relationship to Bella she probably knows about Bella's relationship to Redcliffe as you know she was a circus performer and Bella probably told Darcy about what was going on in the circus you know when they were probably younger and so if Darcy is aware of like the abuses that went on and we haven't heard of any abuse though we don't really know but it would be like yeah. I she, think it would be Bella says Bella views the circus as like a great thing yeah we've never heard anything negative about yes. the circus yet I mean by episode 115 bella is like yeah i i don't trust apostle seven you know i i'm fully with the leader right that's apostle there is some like enema if like darcy is mistrusting of redcliffe then i could see her being like hey i built up a lot of evidence against this dude Mm -hmm. can you like look into it Mm -hmm. and then by taking down redcliffe then it would kind of free bella because you know, <laughs> in her dreams right she's like oh this is i know i know but could, i'm just saying it could be like darcy looking out for bella by like turning in redcliffe because redcliffe is kind of like we don't know if darcy knows about the phantom Scythe stuff but she does definitely know about the circus and so if she knows about what went on in the circus then she may have be trying to help out bella whether she wants that help or not <laughs> so so exciting oh my gosh I have, yeah this is yeah. like hype for next episode also mindy i don't know if you saw the author's note but it says the yes, new backers know. Now are now just for comedy but knowing our reader base you're probably already theorizing one of them is going to get <laughs> is is going to kill or or be killed which is yes. definitely that conversation about officer jefferson <laughs> he I'm showed up for like four panels uh, that's mm-hmm. obvious <laughs> oh well <laughs> Wow, I'm super excited. This is, yeah, I, it, it looks like it's building up for some like nice action slash intrigue. And I think it's going to be very exciting. Mm-hmm. I love, um, I love how Darcy's getting more incorporated into, you know, the plot line because I was like, I was like, I don't, I didn't know like how she would be because she didn't really seem to have any um, ties to the main characters. Mm. But mm now you know it's slowly building up and i love to see it yes all right any other final thoughts before we close out 
really excited for the next episode. I I'm, I actually like cannot wait <laughs> for that conversation between Tristan, Dakin, and Darcy. Well, they might give us, you know, a switcheroo and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If that did happen, I'll cry. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of feel like they've been doing that a lot with this, with these last episodes where they kind of, it's like the plot line and the story you follow isn't quite as linear as it Mm. was in the previous two seasons. Like you're trying to introduce us to as many characters and squeeze them in as much as possible. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it makes for suspense. <laughs> makes us keeps us on the edge of our toes. <laughs> I don't know if this will actually happen, but there I have seen a lot of people like debating whether like homophobia is a thing in Art Hollis, and I think if it is, then the next episode would be a neat way to address it because it could be like a subtle nod for Darcy to like see you know a, a same sex couple and then you know be like okay. applied to her own relationship, which I think is neat. That's cool yeah so she could be like she could find like comfort in that you know doc and tristan it's working out so mm-hmm. it gives her a bit of hope for her own relationship but then again yeah, it I may just be like a whole like homophobia isn't a thing here yeah yeah i don't know if that's the issue i think the issue is just that it's bella and she doesn't want her you know she's yeah mad at her for whatever reason <laughs> but i don't know it's just like i kind of like thinking about it you know mm. yeah well i'm very excited so we will see next week what what we what we get <laughs> if we get more of this or if we go to like I don't know Kim and Lauren or something oh yeah Lauren and Kieran or whatever <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on it was fantastic as usual thank you so thank much you yep thanks for having us awesome awesome have a great night bye bye <laughs> Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Libras, Lily, Jenny, Haley, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, George, Bell, Saucy, Tacos, Meg, Anne Rose, Priya, Alexa, Misty, Joanne, Patty, Imelda, Esther, I'm watching the people, Tori's Papacy, Marie, Evelyn, Jane, Jen, Erin, Jane, Lily, Beckett, Miranda, Christine, Sadie, Kelly, Camille, <coughs> Teresa, Mrs. Castaldo, and Terry. Your support is truly appreciated.